0: here today. We've been uh, uh, doing a sermon series um, the last few weeks called Pursuing Your Calling and talking about that we really believe that God has called all of us to specific things and um, um, we need to know what it is that God's called us to so that we can um, be doing those good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. Um, I was reading this week a guy named Jerry DeLuca shares from a, a, a book. It's really a collection of essays by an author named Heather um, Haverleski. And the name of her collection of essays is called, What If This Were Enough? And she writes about finding meaning in the mundaneness of everyday life using Mozart as an example. Anybody ever heard of Mozart? Probably had to study him in music appreciation or something like that. But she says this in, in, in her book of essays. She says, Mozart's father, Leopold, viewed his son's musical talent as a miracle given by God. He believed that it was his job to help Mozart share his miracle with the world. In Mozart's time, composers weren't seen as exalted class of humans. Um... Musicians were exactly in the same position as other household servants, cooks, chambermaids, coachmen, and sentries. They existed for the comfort and well-being of their masters and mistresses. Leopold Mozart did not agree. He believed that his son should be displayed to the glory of God, as he put it. Mozart was often impulsive and he thought nothing of thwarting convention. He rarely had enough money and he died very young. But when you listen to his music, it's impossible not to believe that he was joyful and deeply satisfied human being. Now nowhere in this lady's um, bio does she claim to be a believer. But she encourages her readers not to prioritize accumulating wealth or social media likes And friends, instead she says this imagine being told that you have been given your talent by God and you must honor God's will by manifesting or showing that that talent in your creations. Now that may be a fascinating discovery for her, but as I think about it, no, if you really understand God and that He created all of us in His image to do something in life, and he's gifted us to do this, then this should not be a surprise, but maybe that's her point, is that we do miss the truth that, you know, when you think about um, uh, his father was saying, hey, this guy, you've been gifted, and he told his son over and over again, you've been gifted by God to do this, and you need to do something with it, and he was telling his son that, and maybe we should understand that more clearly. How many of you have had your parents say to you, you've been gifted with this and God has gifted you with this so that you can be a blessing to the rest of the world. That's why he's gifted you with this. Now don't raise your hand, but I wonder if more of us would teach our kids that, that you have gifts. You may not have figured those out yet, but God has gifted you that to give him honor and glory in whatever it is that you do. So I want to read that again. Imagine being told that you've been given your talent by God, and you must honor God's will by demonstrating or expressing that talent in your creations. Maybe it would make us live a little differently. Well, we've been talking about, our, our, about pursuing our calling in life in the last few weeks. We looked at Abraham last week and how God had called him to leave all these things that he knew before and to go forward into a a place where I will show you. And he didn't know exactly where that place was, but he kept following where God called him. And I believe God has created each of us in his image, and he's created in each of us with, a spe- with specific good works that we've talked about, which he planned in advance for us to do while our time is here on earth. And the ability and the gifts to actually accomplish those good works that he's created for us. But one of the challenges to pursuing our calling in life is this is being able to develop a healthy belief system that includes putting God at the core of everything that we do. And that's hard. And I would say it's hard in our Western culture to do that, and probably in the United States more than any other culture, is to make God a part of the very core of everything we do. And I say that for this reason. We are so self-sufficient in our country, aren't we? We are a First world country. We seem to have everything that we need at our fingertips. We're not really wanting. Now, I know there's people that are wanting in our country. I get that. Not saying that. But for the most part, we generally are are kind of self-sufficient. And sometimes I believe we operate as if we as humans alone have the ability to direct every aspect of our lives on our own. I don't need you. I don't need that person. And and I know God, I believe we're made in his image and, and I get God's there and, and I appreciate God and I know he's created the world. You may even think like that, but I can do this. God needs to worry about people in third world countries, in second world countries, but we got this in first world countries and, I, and I'm good. And I'll call you God if I need you, but I'm good. No, we have to come to a a point where we really understand that God needs to be at the core of everything in our lives or we're really not living intimately with Him. Ultimately, at some point in our lives, we will find out that that kind of philosophy, of belief that we can direct our own lives apart from God will break us down and we'll find out it's not true. Now, for some of you in here, that's already happened. You've already had one of those moments where you go, Man, that God, I don't know what else to do. And that is a defining moment, and it's a good thing because it brings you closer to God when you have those kind of things. We're human. We've been created with incredible purpose, abilities, and gifts that God's given us. But we also have limitations, don't we? We break down after a while. We have some fundamental needs that can only be filled outside of us with other people that God's brought into our lives. And certainly, there's a hole in our heart that can only be filled with God because He is our Creator and i think god has created us and we have to commit to pursuing and being in an intimate relationship with god. now when i say intimate relationship with god, some of us kind of go, "ooh, that's weird when you say intimate relationship." cuz i'm even awkward with an intimate. some of us will even say, "hey, i'm i'm awkward with an intimate relationship anyway." but when you say with god, it just seems kind of that's just kind of weird. how do i do that? how do i be intimate with god? But as we look through the Bibles, we look at these different people, I want to talk about Abraham last week. He had that intimate relationship with God. Have you ever met anybody that has an intimate relationship with God? Because when you meet them, you'll know. I had lunch with a guy this week who I had met before, but just very surface, hello, how you doing? And that was it. But I actually met with him this week. And I'm telling you, this guy blew me away with his intimate relationship with God. And when he was talking about what God had done in his life, I mean, it was like he was locked in. It was at the core of everything he does. And when he talked about it, you know, you know when he talked about God, you know what he said? He referred to him as Father. He said, Father told me, Father showed me, Father in his Word, says. He kept saying, Father. And I'm like, man, this guy has an intimate relationship with God. And he wasn't showy about it. It was just, that's who he was. And you could see the joy in his face when he talked about it. And what he was doing with his life, it was obvious that God had called him to do it. And he's got a great story. And in a couple of weeks, he's going to be here. I was so impressed to ask him to come and share his calling. And he'll be here in a couple of weeks. And if I could go and say, next week, you want to be here too. Because we've got a young lady that's going to share about her calling. Her name is Caitlin Crane. Some of y'all may know her or have heard of her. But she's got a ministry called Just One. Just one. And as a young lady, she is doing something about human trafficking. She feels God has called her to do something about that. And so she's going to be here with us next week and sharing a little bit of her stories. So back to my sermon. But that intimate relationship may seem strange, but when we look at the people who were closest to God in the Bible, God called them in a lot of different ways and in a lot of different places, but they had that intimate relationship With God. And when we truly recognize our gifts and abilities are from God and that God created us to use those gifts and abilities to produce good works that He prepared for us, we see life through a different lens. I look at things, it's not about me, it's about God and others. That's what He's created me to think about. So today I want us to look at an interesting text from the book of Exodus, Genesis. Exodus, second book of the Bible, and throughout all of Exodus, maybe some of y'all know this, maybe you don't, but we believe that Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. And Moses in Exodus is really the guy who starts off, he's the the main character, but he's writing later about his own life. And there's a lot of details about Moses and his calling, and that's a great calling. I encourage you to read about that in Exodus, but today I want to talk about two guys that I'm sure you've heard of before. Not at all. One is Bezalel. Have you all heard of Bezalel in the Bible? That's what I thought. I didn't think anybody heard of Bezalel. Have you heard of Aholiab? Have you heard of him? It's not somebody that we necessarily remember, but we're going to read about them in just a minute. In the beginning of Exodus, before I talk about those specific guys, and we're going to be in Exodus 31 if you want to go ahead and get ready for that, but I want to just give you a little bit of background on Exodus. And some of you have heard these stories before and know this, but again, I encourage you, if you're at a point in your life where you're just kind of maybe, you know, seeking out what God, read Exodus. It's a fantastic story about the life of Moses and the uh, the people of Israel and how God had called them with Abraham, and then they went through these years. And in Exodus, we read about for for hundreds of years, I think it was like 400 years, they have been under the thumb of Egypt. They have been oppressed by the the Egyptians. And and we end the book of Genesis talking about Joseph and how great he was, if you know that great story, yeah, the guy with many-colored coat who became a ruler in Egypt. And we end that with many hundreds of years later, where basically the Pharaoh of Egypt goes, there's a lot of Israelites here in our country. It's making me very uncomfortable with all these Israelites because there's so many of them and they keep uh, being fruitful and multiplying that before long, they're just going to take over. So we need to do something about this. We need to make them like slaves and we need to crack down on this. And he's the one who said, and we got to start getting rid of the baby boys. And you remember Moses was one of those boys who should have been killed under Pharaoh's order, but his daughter found him floating in the little basket in the river, and she took him into her home. And so we know that's kind of how Moses' life got started. And eventually, Moses, one day as an adult, sees an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite, and he knows the connection. He knows his background, and he sees every day that there's something wrong here. I know what my background really is, and why are these people treating my people like this? And he eventually kills an Egyptian who is mistreating an Israelite, and somebody sees him, and he has to flee, and he goes to the desert. And that's when Moses has this incredible calling from God, where he sees a bush burning, but it's really not burning. And God says, look, I've heard the cries of my people. I've heard the cries of their oppression. I know what's going on, and I'm sending you to go and do something about that. He goes, me? I can't go back there. They want to kill me. He goes, no, I've chosen you. And, and Moses argues with God and says, no, you you have the wrong guy. I can't speak. as you have a brother. He can be your spokesman. But who created your mouth? Who created your tongue? I did. You can speak just fine. I'm not going to change who I've called to do this. It's you. And eventually, Moses and his brother Aaron go to Pharaoh, and they said, hey, God says he's ready for you to let go of these people that you've had under oppression for so many years. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, as we know, and he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And then there follows these numerous encounters with all these plagues. There was ten in all where they said, hey, you're not going to do what God says. He's going to send this plague on you. And Pharaoh goes, I'm not scared of that. And then all of a sudden he goes, okay, please, call off the dogs, whatever. There wasn't a plague of dogs. I'm just saying that as a matter of speaking. But he said, call off the gnats, call off whatever it is, the different plagues. And then he says, okay, I'll let them go. And then he, then he reneges. He goes, no, I'm not going to do that. And he and he. Some back, so it goes on and on. And finally, the last plague is when it's called the, the development of the Passover for the Israelite people. And you remember, they put the blood on their doorpost, and God went through and took the firstborn of anybody that did not put the blood on their doorpost. And eventually, Pharaoh lost his own son. And finally, he goes, Get your people and get out of here. And they make this mass exodus, this exit out. Do you realize that there were probably a million people that were leaving Egypt at the time? Can you imagine? A million people going, all right, everybody get up, we're going. A million people, we're all going. Can you imagine that crowd? I mean, I've been to a, a few, like, football games where there's been, like, 50,000 or 60,000 people ever been one of them, and you see everybody exit, what a nightmare it is. Can you imagine with a million people leaving the country with all their stuff and their animals and their kids and their possessions after being in one place for so long? So that's what they do. And then Exodus tells us the story of this, this Exodus and this incredible miracle because they're out there and all of a sudden Pharaoh goes, you know what, what have I just done? I just let a million people of our workforce go. How are we going to get anything done now? What was I thinking? Go back and get them. And he sends his army out to get them. And then the people have just left and now they're going, What in the world? Why did you bring us out of here, Moses? We're all going to die. And they have no faith. And then Moses says, God, you got to work with me here. And he parts the Red Sea and the people go through safely. And then Pharaoh's army is, it covers them up. And the people are saved. Y'all know these stories. They're incredible. If you don't know these stories, read Exodus. It's incredible how God works through these things. But God was preparing them for this promised land that he had promised Abraham. And there are three things that... God starts to establish with the people who were part of this exodus. The first thing he says, I need to establish with you, my people, a law, a written law that says this is how you're supposed to interact with me as God, your creator. This is how you're supposed to interact with each other and those around, the, around you. These are the laws and you need specific laws and guidelines and I'm going to give those to you. And then he says, I want you to construct a tabernacle. And a tabernacle is different than a temple in that a tabernacle was portable. Wherever they traveled, they would take this tabernacle and be able to set it up and have a worship service to God and do their sacrifices just as God had told them. And then finally he says, I'm going to also establish through this group of people who were exiting this journey to take possession of this promised land that I promised your father Abraham so many years ago. So the second thing, this construction of the tabernacle was very specific and unique. And God was very exact and detailed on every aspect of that. And so um, of how this was going to be built. Everything was significant. So when you walked into that tabernacle, the walls, the entrance, everything that went on, you would say that's pointing to an aspect of God as something special. And it was going to be the very dwelling place of God where they would worship him whenever and wherever they were. And in chapter 24 of Exodus, God confirms once again his covenant with Israel and saying, I've not forgot about what I established with uh, Father Abraham. And then he told Moses to come up on the mountain, and I'm going to give you specific instructions about the laws and specific instructions about the construction of the tabernacle. So from 24 to 31, you have all these details. Now, if you remember, Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Does anybody remember what happened when he came down from the mountain? There was a bad party going on. I mean, a bad party. Everybody got tired of waiting for Moses to come down off the mountain. And they just threw all their, their jewelry together and made a golden calf and they were worshiped. Now, it's easy for us to go, how could they not wait 40 days? How could, they, how could this happen? But remember, they were in Egypt, which, which worshipped many, many false idols and gods. This is what they had seen for so long. And so this was new for them. So they were easily impatient. But anyway, while he's on the mountain he's given these things. So I want to read from chapter 31 verse um, chapter 31 verse um, starting in verse 2, I believe, and listen to what um, Moses says here. He says, "See, I have chosen Bezalel. There's that name, you probably know son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God and with wisdom and with understanding and with knowledge and with all kinds of skills." to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Aholiab, son of Ashimach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. And I have also given, listen to this, I have also given ability to all the skilled workers to make everything I have commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant, "...law with the atonement cover on it, and all the other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and the basin with its stand, and all the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest and the garments for his sons when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense for the holy place, they are to make them just as I commanded you." So that's a lot of stuff in there, isn't it? And you may be going, that's kind of boring, Craig. It's a bunch of articles. It's not real exciting, but when I think about all of it was specific for worship, and God designed it that way, and he's given them specific details all the way down to the, um, I guess you could call them essential oils there at the end, that were going to be part of worship. Everything God had the way he wanted it. So why am I sharing this with y'all? Because I want us to realize that I believe that just like God chose and filled those two guys and these other skill workers in that time in history to do these specific things, he says he filled them with his spirit, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and all kinds of skills, he still does that. He still fills us with His Spirit. He still gives us wisdom and understanding and knowledge and skills. I don't know what you do for a living. I don't know what God's called you to do or what He's calling you to think about doing for a living. But God is working in your heart and your mind because He's given you skills and abilities and wisdom to do something for Him with those skills and abilities. That's why Paul wrote, and I repeat it all the time in Ephesians, you are God's workmanship, you are God's handiwork, created to do God's handiwork in the world, and he's, he's prepared those for you in advance. Now, some of you may be saying, wait a minute, I know I have skills. I'm pretty good at what I do, but I didn't get that from God. I did that. I'm the one who went to school. I'm the one that busted my tail and put myself through school. I'm the one who's met, worked all those hours in this certain particular field. I'm the one who did all that. I'm the one who's got seniority now because of all my hard work. No, actually, you didn't do that alone. There were a lot of people that got you to that point. And God has been doing that in and through you through your whole life. Whether you acknowledge him or not, he's been doing that. And as long as we think we did it and God is impersonal, we will miss out on the full understanding of our calling and being fulfilled in that calling. Because if it's all about us, we miss out on what God has called us to do in the world, is to glorify him and to bring people to know him. Now I'm thinking about all the different things that that all of y'all are sitting out there doing. Now, I'm thinking about these folks, and and I watch every week, and I go, God, I wish I could play drums. Man, I wish I could play guitar. And, you know, the Wallace family are freaking natures, aren't they? They can all play and sing, you know? And I mean that with all due respect, okay? I do, but I just go, that is a gift. But I'm thankful that Kevin and Allison have told their kids, you've been given a gift. And that gift is not something you hold to yourself and bring glory to yourself, but it's something you bring glory to God. And it's something that you bring and and show people God through what you do with your gifts. And we need to do that with our kids no matter what it is. And I just want to name some things, and and, and this may be what you do. I thought about um, Daryl up here. He's a pilot for Delta, and he also plays guitar, you know. But God gifted him to be able to fly a plane. I'm going, that's scary. There's no way I would get that many people 30,000 feet and drive them. This wouldn't do it. I'd mess it up, I'd crash. But there's people that do that, and there's others. I think about medical people, doctors, nurses, anesthesiologists, physical therapists, those who take care of people once they go home from the hospital. And that's hard. You know, you get, when you're a doctor or nurse or whatever, and people don't feel good, you get some really crummy attitudes, don't you? Because I don't feel good, and I'm going to take it out on you. But I'm so thankful for those people. God has gifted them to do that. I think about teachers. Go in every day and try to teach students. I, had a, I got a call this week from one of my kids' teachers. It wasn't Abby or Lauren, because I know they're in here. It wasn't them. It was our five-year-old. And she got in trouble at school. And it was embarrassing. The, the coach called, and she was doing something in P that she wasn't supposed to do. And was, showed a little attitude about it. So I got the call, you know. And I was embarrassed, but I was like, man it's hard being a teacher because you got all these kids and you're trying to get them to do that. And man, somebody gives you attitude and it can, it, can, it can mess things up. So teachers, I think about computer and IT people. How many of you lose your mind when you're computer and you're like, oh, where's the computer guy? Where's the computer lady? We got to have them because I can't fix this. And God has gifted specifically those people to do that. I think about accountants, people who do our taxes. Does anybody understand the tax code? I'm not sure accountants do, but at least they at least they seem like they do, and I have to give them my paperwork to do that. But I'm thankful for people like that, that do my taxes and are able to, to crunch numbers and do those kind of things. I think about mechanical people that fix our, our, our cars and our trucks, planes, people that do HVAC work. Aren't you glad when you see your air condition's not working and you see that guy or that gal pull up in your drive Like, oh, finally, relief. And people have been gifted to do that. Electrical people, engineers. When this building was built, I was blown away, and I thought about this specific passage. I really did, because I haven't ever even built a doghouse. I don't know anything about construction. But as this church was being built from the beginning, how many of y'all were here when the church wasn't finished, and we came in here, and we took Sharpies, and we wrote verses on the different uh, on the mail? How many? You raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. Yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? And, and we, we, we so before, you know, they put the drywall and all that on just the steel beams, we wrote verses on the floor and on the beams and all that. That was really a fun day and a cool day. But I also remember every person, every group that came in here was skilled with different things. I remember when they were doing the concrete, and I was like, man, those guys know what they're doing. Uh, I think about I think Joe Straggs here, and they laid the, the infrastructure for this whole thing and all the grading and everything that had to be done. I'm like, man, those guys, I wouldn't have a clue about how to do that. you got to take down all the trees and then get everything just right. How do they do that? Well, they've been taught. They went to school for it. No, God gifted them. God called them to do it. When I saw the electrical people doing all the electrical stuff, I'm like, golly, how do they remember all those wires and what they do and put in the water lines and all that? How do they know that without messing that up? And have you ever seen people on the stilts doing drywall? You know what I'm talking about? There were, there were guys and gals in here on those stilts, you know, those high things. And, and they got those little things of mud with the, with the what do you call them? The, um, yeah, yeah, those things. And, and, they're, and they're scraping and they're just laughing and they're talking and they're just, I mean, it's like, man, that's a gift. No, they do that every day. Their, their grandfather taught them, their father taught them, their uncle. No, God gifted them. I believe that with all my heart. As as each person came in here and did what God gifted them to do, I don't know if they really grasped the fact that they were doing something for God, but we had a couple of lunches for them, and that's what we told them. We said, thank you. You are building a building that's going to bring people to know Christ by using your gifts and skills. And I know there's probably some I went, yeah, whatever, dude. You're a preacher. You're supposed to say that. But I really thought, this is amazing, and I thought about that when I think of this. And I can mention a lot, managers, leaders, engineers, people who work... Retail, salespeople, customer service people, that's that's a difficult job, but you work with people and it's important. Farmers and athletes, all of these people, entertainers, people in the arts, music, acting, dancing, films, all of those things, we've been gifted. And I may not have specifically mentioned what you do, but I believe that God has gifted you to do that. And when we become intimate with God, we kind of understand. Every day at the very core, when I'm getting up, God's called me to do this. Yeah, there's going to be some things I'm anticipating at work and today that are going to be rough. But I know God's called me to do this, and I want to do it to the the best of my ability and bring glory to him and obviously bring some hope to people today through what I do. And if you think your calling is to be personally successful and make a lot of money, that is not going to necessarily bring God glory, is it? It's just about your personal success. You've missed your calling. It's beyond that. If in the process you get, you get fame, in the process if you get money, that's okay. But ultimately God has called you to something even greater than that. So God wants to see him in our work, in our job, in our efforts. And, and I mentioned, uh, you know, I talk about this and, and I see Kevin up here. And when you hear your kids sing or you see them uh, in athletics and you see them performing and you're going, that's my son, that's my daughter, you're proud of that. You see them performing and doing what they're gifted to do. It, it makes you proud. And I think God looks down as he looked down on those people who built the tabernacle. Do y'all not think God couldn't have built that tabernacle himself? He goes, oh, Moses, I got this. Okay, here's where the, the tabernacle is going to be. I'm going to set it up for you just like I want it. Don't screw it up, but I'm going to do it because y'all will probably mess it up. But you're going to do it this way. If he can make a hippopotamus and an elephant and a whale, I think he can make the tabernacle by himself. But he didn't. He says, no, I want to take these humans that I've made, that I've created, and I want them to do these things that I've called them to do. I want them to make the tabernacle. I want to see them make that Ark of the Covenant out of that specific wood and those specific dimensions that I made. I want to see them do that. And when God watched those guys with the funny names do that, he was going, that's my boy. I've gifted them to do that, and they're doing it. And so today I want you all to hear me. God is watching you fly a plane or teach in school or working with somebody or even dealing with a a disgruntled customer on customer service, and God's going, I've I've skilled you to do this. Trust that I'm going to help you through this. Now, there may be some of you going, no, Craig, you don't understand. I hate my job. I hate my boss. I hate my coworkers. You need a vacation, first of all. But second of all, God sometimes puts us in very uncomfortable places and i don't i don't have a crystal ball i don't i don't know your situation that well but maybe god has you there for a specific purpose to to make an impact on the people you're around he's got something better down the road i don't know but i want you to 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 try to stay faithful to where you are right now i think about the prophets in the old testament god sent them to some places to do and say some things that were very unpopular i was sharing wednesday night about jeremiah the prophet for 40 years y'all he called out all these Terrible things that were going to happen to Israel if they didn't turn things around. And everybody goes, you're a nut. No converse. You're a nut, Jeremiah. God didn't say that. He didn't tell you that. The country's going along fine. There's nothing going to happen bad to us. You're crazy. And everything that he said in those 40 years eventually came true. It's difficult sometimes, so I want you to think about that. God sometimes puts you in a difficult place because he has gifted you to deal with that difficult, those difficult people in that difficult situation. So don't give up. Maybe he has something greater, but right now try to stay faithful to what he's called you to do. So this morning I want to just think about those two guys, Bezalel and Oholiab. And the other craftsmen, he gifted them with those skills to do that and they did it. And when people came into that tabernacle, they saw these incredible works and they go, wow, God gifted people to do that. And this points me to God and and he, you know, the the woodwork, the the gold work. And it was very specific. If you want to read how specific it was, read those chapters from 24 to 31. It's so specific, but that's exactly how they did it. But God creates things In us, He chose to give me and you and every one of His children skills and abilities and knowledge to do the things and produce the things that point people to Him through our specific calling and work. Think about that every day. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Even people who refuse to acknowledge that God has gifted them in those things, guess what? They're still doing what God created them to do. They can get an eye, but they're still doing what their Father has created them to do. In Colossians 3, Paul says this to that church. Whatever you do, we read this a few months ago. Whatever you do, work, with it, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. So I want you all just to reflect on a minute on what you do and how you're bringing glory to God through that. And I know it can be hard sometimes. Am I really seeking to what God has called me to do in my work and my opportunities? And somebody goes, well, I'm not even working yet. I'm just a student. But where he has you in the band, on a sports team, on the uh, academic team, in drama, whatever it is he has you in as a student, Are you making an impact with the gifts and skills? Because you know what? There's kids in your class who look at you and go, man, that guy's an athlete. He's great. That girl's the smartest girl in the class. They see that you have something that they don't, and they admire you. So why not bring uh, glory to God through that gifts and talents that everybody knows that you have? Frederick Buechner is one of my uh, favorite um, writers. He's a written a lot of books. I have a lot of them in my library. Very interesting guy. And he says this, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Let me read that again. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. How true is that? He takes the deep hunger of the world and our deep gladness and tries to give us those skills and abilities so that they can meet and bring glory to God. And that's where he's called each of us. So this morning, maybe the first step for you is to say, I need to name Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and I need to be intimate with Him so I can know this. Because some of this may be going, Hey, God, I don't know about all this calling stuff. But when we name Jesus as our Lord and Savior and recognize God created us and His Son died for us, not only that He could have relationship with us, but that we could do those things He created us to do. He gave us a way to do those. Now we're back in relationship with Him. So this morning, we're going to, Offer an invitation. Maybe for the first time you need to say, I want to name Jesus as my Lord and Savior and allow Him to start taking over my life and I want to be intimate with Him. And we're going to offer that invitation. Or maybe you're looking for a church home where we say, we believe that part of our job as the church is to connect people with that that place where the deep gladness and the world's deep hunger mean we want to connect you in some sort of a service in the church. We want to do that. And so if you're looking for a church like that, we're, we're striving to do that. So we're going to stand right now, and Kevin's going to lead us in a song. And if you have a decision this morning, we ask you to just come forward, and we'll walk you.